Sutra 29 By austerity, impurities of body and senses are destroyed, and occult powers gained. Had it been days or weeks, I sat in the cave until it felt like the past impressions in my mind began to repeat. Thoughts began to spin. Mental chatter and fears arose. Was I dying in this cave? Or where was I supposed to go? Cicero! We must do something! Who is Cicero? asked Mr. Kismet. I looked at the cats, but I wasn't quite sure. Cicero? His past lives are coming into view more and more, said Forgiveness. What are we doing? The world is on the brink of a world war. And there's a war in our minds, and behind this conflict are the four guardians by design, said Forgiveness. Am I losing my mind? Why doesn't someone stop the brutal killing? Why don't we put an end to war? I can't take this wickedness and evil anymore. Half the world is waiting, and the other half seems to be fighting or running, said Forgiveness. Waiting for what? The second coming, said Mr. Kismet. What's the second coming? For justice and judgment, said Forgiveness. When? Now, he said. How? It's already here, but most people can't see past their fears. Once it all settles, then the judgment will reveal what needs to be cleared, said Forgiveness. But there's a real war in the world, and every bomb and bullet fired makes it seem like we're years from peace. Terrorists have taken the children of life hostage, and the war rages while hostages and civilians still aren't released. This world is sick. How ill has humanity gotten? Someone has to rise up against the wickedness and evil. Who else is going to stop them? The cats gazed at me, and their eyes stayed in the same place. They were examining what I'd say next, but any words were a waste. The world needs action, not words. So who will take down the wicked oppressors? There needs to be an end to evil now and forever. Who's going to stop them? I yelled. Oh, it's coming, said Mr. Kismet. Why doesn't the victor come forth? Why do the people just sit and wait? They worship crosses, statues, gold, and artifacts, while the so-called holy ones hope and pray? But why don't they act? Why don't they come together and save the children of life? For God's sakes, the churches are made of marble and precious stones. Why don't they sell all of it and use the money to put an end to suffering and strife instead of worshiping dead bones? It seems half the world is against one side, and I hear the other preaching about the other half's extinction. These extremists are hiding in tunnels behind their own wickedness, planning mankind's extermination. The same wars keep happening. Of course, when someone is attacked, they must fight back. And the world that is safe and sound goes on marches. But if someone burned your children and raped your women, then wouldn't you attack? Israel has not committed genocide, but yet Hamas is planning the Jews' genocide. Oh, how on earth are those terrorists still alive? Oh, why? Meanwhile, the real villains hide. It's the illusion the masses can't see through. In their minds, they chant death to the West, but we all need to watch out 
because soon they're coming for the rest of us too. And is it you who wants real peace? Then someone has to fight for our lives. If you want all the wickedness to just go away, then someone must fight for what is right. Oh, it's so terrible. But does the younger generation even care? They're on their phones, posting on social media about their abs, big asses, and freshly styled hair. And the old generation? Well, they just seem to watch the news, sports, drink booze and wine. Surely they're upset, but they relax in their armchairs, because just like sports, they're only rooting for one side. And for those who can't be bothered, maybe it's because the war is half the world away. But what happens if the war comes here? Are you just going to wait for a second coming until you're saved? The wealthy world just wants to prosper. But what about the less fortunate ones that are still enslaved? Have you even been to the Middle East? Have you seen the women's rights there? And how so many are depraved? The women have to hide behind veils, and the growing scandals of domestic violence and sexual abuse is never quite heard. If a man marries a woman in certain areas, he can rape her or demand sex whenever he pleases, and that's what makes our world absurd. In certain countries, women can't go to school, and they do not have permission to drive. These men claim to have surrendered to God and Allah, but then why do these radicals still hide? Cicero, Cicero, I'm losing my mind. The world is waiting for a second coming? But where is this savior they speak of? Is he late? We're just running behind on time. And why is God a he? Why isn't the savior a she? What are these idiots doing when they restrict their own people from becoming free? Cicero, Cicero, someone must rise up and fight back. I'm not going to let them destroy the world while they wait for a second coming to come back. Then we will prepare to attack, said Mr. Kismet. How? You want me to march across the world? You want me to take on thousands of terrorists hiding in tunnels? How do I infiltrate the first world's government and get them to stop building bombs and missiles? We can't just erase the evil and wickedness in their minds while these terrible people hide behind little boys and girls. Go on and show me if it's so easy. Tell me, what must I do? The second coming is our breakthrough, said Forgiveness. He pointed to the back of the cave, into that very dark space, but there was nothing there, just a wall of ancient stone held in place. Cicero, Cicero, you do not understand. I am only one man, and I myself have no possibility to solve this without a real plan. It is not your plan. How could this be up to you or me? But within this mountain is the just king, and he will set the people free, said Forgiveness. How? Cities, said Mr. Kismet. Now this was not a word I had ever heard, but I was captivated by such belief. Anything was worth a try, since we needed a plan so that the children of life would be freed. What are the cities? They are heavenly gifts. Cities are divine superpowers. They are secret treasures that allow a person to join with God, to do the impossible, like walk upon water, said Mr. Kismet. Now it was I who could not stop looking upon them. This is what I had heard Jesus, the king, had done. But what were these cities, and where does one get them? 
In the Bible I have heard of such miracles, but I have no desire to walk upon water. We need the gift of divine grace. We need God to come forth and save the entire world. There are various cities, and each have a unique gift, but it is not easy for just any person to reach out and grab them, for these cities alone are not something a regular person can get," said Mr. Kismet. How does one discover these cities? By austerity, impurities of body and senses are destroyed, and occult powers gained," said Mr. Kismet. If such powers exist, then who oversees these cities? The earth goddesses, and the Nagas who are the serpent kings and queens of the waters, and also the Yaksha kings and queens who rule the four directions. When the Holy Spirit trusts you, it grants you these cities," said Forgiveness. Due to the curiosity of such power, my mind began to wonder on such an occasion, and so I sat still with my legs crossed while that serpent began to twist around the base of my spine as I reflected in contemplation. There I heard a voice, as if it was deep within, and so I knew this was not myself speaking, but rather this was the voice of the wind. Abiding alone in a secret place, without craving and without possessions, he shall take his seat upon a firm stone, neither over high nor over low. And with the working of the mind and of the senses held in check, with the body, head, and neck maintained in perfect equipoise, looking not around him, so let him meditate, and thereby reach the peace of the abyss and the likeness of one such who knows the boundless joy that lies beyond the senses and is grasped by intuition, and who swerves not from the truth is that of a lamp in a windless place that does not flicker," said the wind. For some time we meditated, and I began to feel like a small child. I cannot explain it, but within all of us lives that kid within that has been lost for a long while. If you had to go back and tell yourself something as a kid, what would you tell yourself? Asked Mr. Kismet. Never be afraid to follow your heart because it knows where you're going. And what about you? I would tell the children of life that we are all on a path. We spend our lives looking for it, but there are only two ways, the safe path or to follow the feeling into the cave, into the very narrow path where you cannot come back out. It is in that way where we confront the fear of going too far and not being able to come back. That's the choice that separates most of us. The choice that defines our journey. It's when you take one big step so far that you cannot turn back. When you can only continue forward. And so the real question is, how far are you willing to go? Said Mr. Kismet. Now Mr. Kismet was beside me, but forgiveness was in the back. His eyes glowed in the darkness to the point I could not even see the body of the black cat. Where are you, Forgiveness? I said, how far are you willing to go? Said Mr. Kismet. Go all the way, whispered Forgiveness. Goosebumps rose across my soul, and there beside the black cat, I saw the tiniest hole. It was a very narrow path, one where you might be able to look in, but I knew for a fact 
that this path was so tight that even if you made it in, you could not turn back. Most people toy with the idea of going for it. They hope and wish, but that's not how it works. The choice that defines the journey is when you take the big step so far. And how far will you go? I know, when we're old men someday, you'll want to look back and know you went for it. And did you get lucky? Sure, it's a bit of luck. Did you make some tough choices? Of course, you made some hard ones. But the thing that separates you from everyone else is action. You may have a strange outlook toward various things. Your approach may not always be clear and concise. You may not always think properly or have the best ideas. But damn it, you work hard when it comes time. Wouldn't it be nice to have a real guru to lead you to the top of the mountain so you can look out in awe? Wouldn't it be nice to travel to a precious land and hike to an ancient temple or go snowboarding and drink beer? But you chose this path, didn't you? You decided that this was your destiny. And every day you walk this path, you fall in love as you write the story. You may even be thinking of the end, but it's not about the end. It's about every day you get to share this. What a blessing that is. So what is left? It's do or die, said forgiveness. Moving to the back of the cave, I began to realize that even this cave was not the place my soul was meant to stay. It had looked after me for quite some time, but what did I have left? Not much, and so I was not afraid. But I don't know if I can fit. It's not about whether you can or can't. You must, said forgiveness. What happens if I go in? Tapas, said Mr. Kismet. What's tapas? Straightening by fire. If a man gives way to all his desires, or panders to them, there will be no inner struggle. But if, for the sake of attaining a definite aim, he struggles with the desires that hinder him, he will then create a fire, which will gradually transform his inner world into a single whole. We are in search of the miraculous, said Mr. Kismet. And so forgiveness spoke. The direct meaning of tapas is to burn. By the physical tapas of fasting, we burn our excess fat away, along with the toxins in our bodies we have accumulated. By mental tapas, we burn away our old impressions. By verbal tapas, observing silence, we control our speech. When we burn, we feel some heat and pain. We undergo a sort of suffering. So tapas also means to accept suffering. If someone suffers, he or she is blessed, because by that suffering, some impurities are purged out. In order to make our minds clean and steady, we must accept suffering, pain, and even poverty. It is even more beneficial if, at the same time that we accept pain, we bring happiness to others. So, accept the pains of others too. We never lose by accepting pain. The more the pain, the more the gain and no pain, no gain. We should not run from it. In our lives, there are many opportunities for tapas. Even a cloth must undergo tapas to become clean. We heat our utensils and plates to clean them too. The laundry person or cleaner has no hatred for the cloth or dishes when they must become pure. 
and so it undergoes tapasya. If there is no fire in you, how can you inspire anyone? If you want to inspire, you must burn intensely. We only want to make it pure. It is out of this love that he or she endures the pain or heat. The mind too must be washed, squeezed, tossed, dried and ironed. Don't think that if someone causes us pain, they hate us, but rather they are helping us to purify ourselves. If we can think like this, we are real yogis. If anybody hurts our feelings, we should just smile at them. You can even say, thank you. I want more and more. I know you want me to become pure soon. Bring your friends and inflict more heat so I can be purified. If we understand this point and accept it, we'll never find fault with anybody who abuses, scolds, or insults us. If flowery words make us happy, but insults upset us, we know our minds are not yet strong. A word of abuse helps us understand our weaknesses. My master said, adapt, adapt, accommodate, bear insults, bear injury. That is the highest spiritual practice. If we are insulted and keep a serene mind, it is higher than saying thousands of rosaries. That is true tapasya. The power to control the body and senses comes by tapasya. If we accept everything, what can affect us? If somebody calls us a fool, accept it. If someone calls us a wonderful person, accept it. Once a man wanted to anger a saint, he began insulting him and said, you dirty rogue, see how many people you have ruined with your teachings? The saint remained quiet, smiling at his tormentor. Don't you understand what I'm saying? said the man. Sure, replied the saint. Then how can you keep quiet? The saint answered. Suppose you brought me some fruit and I refused it. What would you do? I would take it back, said the man. Yes, and in the same way. I don't enjoy all these things you have brought me, so you can just take them back," said the saint. Handling things this way takes real strength and courage. A person who can only strike back physically may be physically strong, but mentally weak. Mental strength comes from tapasya and accepting pain. Then pain is no longer pain, but it is joy because we have realized the benefit of it. A beautiful example of this is the mother who feels so much joy in bringing forth a child, although it may be very painful, she will never avoid the pain, rather she welcomes it. Knowing it is the price she pays for the great benefit of the children of life, said forgiveness. Then the black cat came out from in front of this tiny hole and stretched out his foot to lick his toes. And what happens if I go within? What are the chances I will survive? Not quite, he paused. You will die, but something else will come forth. The seer that you are will emerge, and so will your highest self. But how do I know who that is? By studying spiritual books, you'll come into communion with your chosen deity, said Mr. Kismet. You can study the scriptures and discover this if you've been initiated or confirmed. A regular practice becomes your study and in time, we may get a vision from God. By constant effort, we get a vision of the deity connected with our particular prayers or mantras. 
since each deity has its prayers and mantras. In other words, each name of the divine has a form. If we just stick to a certain name, we will connect with that incarnation of the soul, and eventually the form will appear automatically. It may come as a human form, a light or a sound, said forgiveness. Then what I feel that I must do is that I must go through. I looked into this tiny narrow hole, but there was no way I could ever fit my soul. If I was lucky, I could get my sight in, but beyond that, anything further would be out of my control. By total surrender to God, Samadhi is attained, said Mr. Kismet. Total surrender is a life of devotion and dedication. It's offering everything to God or to humanity. Do not ask what this gets you, but rather, what will this do for all of humanity when you meet the highest version of your truth? When we want to offer something to God, is God sitting somewhere waiting for us to give something? Where and who is God? God made the world, and the world itself is God. All that is outside of us is God. When we dedicate our lives to the benefit of humanity, we have dedicated ourselves to God. Whatever we do can easily be transformed into worship by our attitudes. We can do anything and everything as long as we do it with the idea of serving the world at large. We can serve our tables, our chairs, and everything around us. If we don't pull chairs mercilessly from one corner to another, we are serving them. If we drag them, they cry. Anything handled roughly will feel pain. There should be a gentle, mindful touch with everything, even our spoons, forks, and plates. It was Mother Teresa who once said, I felt God talking when I did the dishes. If I handled the dishes gently, I found that God made a beautiful jingling sound. But if I threw them here and there, the plates and dishes would cry. So dishwashing can be a form of worship. You can convert everything into a spiritual practice with a magic wand of right attitude. Now many people are interested in instant samadhi, which is spiritual absorption. Well, we can have it right here and now, without waiting for the kundalini to be aroused. We don't have to wait on the snake at our spine if we dedicate ourselves completely. Once we give everything to God, we are renunciates. We have nothing to possess. And when we have nothing to possess, we have nothing to worry about. All worry is due to attachments and clinging to possessions. The attachment I mean is a mental attachment. What we want is a mental rather than a physical detachment. We can even possess things physically if we are mentally detached. This is continuous samadhi. We shouldn't think samadhi means sitting in a corner, forgetting ourselves and keeping the body still like a rock. Real samadhi means tranquility of mind, which is possible only when we dedicate everything and are free from all attachment. Normally, we want everything for ourselves, a name, money, and fame, and we become surrounded by these wants. In India, a proverb says, if you are interested in weaving, you shouldn't keep a monkey for a pet. If you do, whenever you weave some cloth and leave it for a moment, the monkey will cut off at least a hundred strands. In the same way, if you are interested in peace, why should you have wants and possessions? They can never go together. 
No religion, no prophet, no saint has ever said one could have both peace and wants. Only a desireless mind, a mind free from everything, completely naked, can have peace. By total devotion and dedication, we may have unending peace. Either give everything to the world, to the community of your fellow people, or give everything to God. Total surrender is a very easy path. Do everything in God's name. Then you will get peace and joy of your journey, said forgiveness. And in the book of Matthew, or Levi, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it, said Mr. Kismet. And so we must give up who we think we are, and we must let go of what we think we know. With that, we go forward into the narrow route, to surrender to the spiritual essence so our true nature can flow. Like a river that overcomes a dam, something finally gave way. I was going with the current of life, but to where? And that's when I heard forgiveness say, Kailash is the name for a cosmic pyramid in ten steps. This mountain is a pyramid which symbolizes the ten levels, or ten boomies, of evolution that the universe undergoes on its climb to the highest state of consciousness. We are going into Kailash. We are uniting with the Ten Boomies. It takes ten steps, and then humanity's thread will be rejoined to run through the cosmic heart. As my soul inched inside, I lost sight of everything in the past. All I felt was the snake around my spine climbing higher, and to my surprise, I could still sense and hear the wisdom of the two black cats. Within a sense of surrender, as I became devoted to God and to the world, I realized I had peace and joy within me all along. And so I knew that the old ways were in the past, which was a place I would never return. Alas, Kailash. So